Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 7. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry. It's a place for believers who want to maximize the impact of their lives on others. And in Season 3, we're moving through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's thread covers chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and the topic, Seeking Status. Have you ever loved something like your shirt? Maybe you bought the shirt and you put it on you thought you looked so great in it. Or you just came out with a new haircut. Or maybe you bought some shoes and you think they're awesome. And then somebody makes a comment about it. It's a negative comment. And from then on, it's all you can think about. Like You get all insecure about even wearing it because you doubt yourself again. Well, this thread is kind of about that. Uh, this thing called status. Every human society has some means of defining status, and most of them are quite similar. Status has to do with ranking people, and of course, we want to rate higher than the average person. It's as though we don't have a means to assign our own worth uh, or the value, you know, to value ourselves. And so we look to others and we ask them to rate us and validate us. You know, nowadays we have social media. So we have likes and comments and thumbs up and thumbs down. It's a global condition. Humans just see their value from the outside. And in the ministry, this creates a huge problem. Because once again, ministry is not a normal lifestyle. And it is not an ordinary vocation. Status seeking in the ministry is pretty much the same thing as it is in the world. We value education we value how much money is involved. We seek titles, special titles, uh, places, physical places of honor. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, I was just amazed at the the cool chair that the pastor got to sit in in our little country churches. They were never normal seats. They always had this like huge back. It was, it was like something out of the Princess Bride. And sometimes, if nobody was around, I might run up real, real fast and just sit in it and wiggle my butt around for a minute, see how that big chair felt, and then run away. We seek these things, you know. We special status. We got clothing. We got special parking spaces. Some mega church pastors even have their own version of the Secret Service. And there's these guys, they talk into their sleeves. They wear black coats, just like in the movies. They even have a code name for the pastor. And then they have a different code name for his wife. Now, I'm not lying. I've seen this for myself. I was with somebody once, and uh, I had to first get through his security detail. And then we walked into the sanctuary together, and I mean, with like, I think six guys as part of the detail. And then I looked behind me, and his wife wasn't with us. So I sat down, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And I found out she waits 10 minutes into the service. And then her posse comes in so she can make a big entrance too. You know, these are these are good people. And I'm sure it was a lot of fun for those guys to play with all the security toys. But all of it goes back not to our security, but to our insecurity. And this is just a comical example. But, you know, all of this stuff is poisonous to ministry because it adulterates the purity of what the ministry is and what the ministry can do in the lives of other people. In Paul's day, we already had the phenomenon. I mean, this is 50 years into Christian, into the birth of the Christian movement, and we already had the traveling minister. 
And these were people that were either uh, better than average teachers. Uh, they might have come from the old Levitical groups because we know that these people uh, were part of the body of Christ and they didn't have, you know, we didn't have priesthood. And so there were a lot of things that, that the scribes and some of the others, they had had not, well, they had had a vocation in Israel and they lost it when they became Christians. And so we know some of them were in the body of Christ and I don't know where all these guys came from, but um, they developed a habit. They would come in either as a, a great teacher or they would come in as a, uh, a wise person or they would come in as a, a powerful spirit person, you know, or maybe even a prophet. And so in order to get more gigs, and remember these, we didn't have any buildings for 300 years. So these are not big groups. They're trying to get into 20 to 70 people house churches. And so they're not known. There was, you know, there was no global system to know people then. So as they were roaming out of their own neighborhoods, they would get letters. If they came to minister to you and it went well, they'd say, oh, can you write me a re uh, commendation, say how well I did, and, and then I'll have that. And then while you're at it, I'm trying to get the church in Corinth to book me. So would you write a letter to them and ask them if they would accept me and let me minister to them? And, you know, of course, there was always the expectation that uh, we hope you take an offering for us. And, and you know, ministries kind of always run like that. And it was that way in Paul's day. And it, But it really hacks him off that they're doing this because he says, this is just what they do in the world. And we're above that. that we're not engaged in the same kind of thing. You know, we need social proof. We need good marketing systems. It it irritates Paul to see that the ministry is already starting to do this. And the, you know, one of the hard parts is you are your own PR man, you know, person. And so these guys are. They're showing up saying, look how good I was here. Here's my, you know, I got 10 letters. You know, please let me come and minister to your churches. And here's what these guys said. Read it. It's really nice. Okay, now read what these guys said about me. So in chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to read you from my wife's brand new Chronological Life Application Study Bible, which is New Living T translation, NLT, whatever that means. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like the others who need, and the we is Paul and his, his group, his group that planted Corinth and that travels with him in ministry. Paul said, are, are we like those guys? who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written on our heart. Everybody can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and it is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. And we are confident of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. Um, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. You know, on the, in the very first verse, Paul is very upset at what he sees. And he says, that is, this is inappropriate for the ministry. And then verse 2, he says, okay, let's look at... Uh, Proper sources of validation. 
You know, it is it is true that some people have no business being in the ministry, and they just don't. There are other people that have good hearts, but uh, they're just, I don't know, they're ineffective for different reasons. And then there are people that really do, they have impact. They they make a difference in the lives of other people. When they, when they minister to them one by one, when they share their story with people over a meal or in the sidewalk or in a church, they have an authority that's behind them. And they are true shepherds of the sheep. And people do well to get around them and to open up to them and to allow them to minister. They should open wide and receive what God has given these people because these are people that they walk with God with a special calling among us as his people. And they pour into us beautiful things. And my life has been so enhanced by the people that God has sent my way. And many of them I knew, and half of them were never involved in a pulpit kind of ministry. They're just awesome believers that they were living it. And I saw God on them just like, you know, in the, in the book of Acts, you have the the deacons and the power that's in their lives supernaturally. And their only job was taking food to to little old ladies and still the Holy Spirit was anointing them with glorious power. And so, you know, there are people in the body of Christ like that in my life. And I thank God for them every now and then in the modern time, there's been somebody who has really uh, trained me and helped me think differently. And they've never met me. You know, I'm just their, I'm their fanboy, and I've listened to everything they've ever, you know, that I can get my hands on. I've read all their stuff and uh, they've done me. They've done me well. And so I thank God for uh, credible ministers. There's lots of them. You know, the the media uses the ministry as a punching bag and makes every pastor out to be some evil pervert. And it's just not true. You know, most shepherds are are doing their very best, and and quite a few of them are are powerful people in the Lord, and I thank God for them. So Paul says, okay, let's do judge ministry. If I need to be judged, here's the first thing I want to point to. And Paul says, you are carved into me. He opens up verse 2 by saying, are we good ministers? We, I love Paul's attitude about this. It's not me, it's we. He sees that ministry is a team sport. And if Apollos, who never travels with him, if Apollos goes into a group that he's just been at or is in his own places, Paul honors the work of Apollos. He says, that guy, he's great. He's got powerful stuff. And God speaks through him. And there are other people in ministry that Paul is always pushing forward, saying, you need to listen to this person more. You need to let him hang. If you can just hang out with him, be with him, he's going to do you good. And Paul's, his first indicator is, a good minister, somebody who is an effective minister on the life of other people, he says, you are carved into that person. You know, they love, look how deeply you're carved into our hearts, Paul says, you know, to truly care about the sheep, people for whom this is not a job and it's not even a duty. Uh, it goes even beyond, uh, you know, a, 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 a calling. It's they love people. They love God's people. They care about them. They weep with those who weep. They celebrate when something good happens in 
in the life of another person, it counts with them. They celebrate that. They're excited about it. Look how deeply you are carved into us. That's the first thing Paul points to is look at us. You know, you're carved into us. We care about you. This isn't a job for us. We care about you. And you can tell that, you know, they say you cannot remember what people say. God made us like that. But you will never forget how they made you feel. And there are some people, and I want to be one of those, that God uses to to pour into the lives of others. And that starts with loving those people, identifying with them, empathizing with them, really, really loving and caring for them. That You know them. You know, I love to get around an old uh, couple that's had a lifetime of ministering to other people. And it's amazing how many people they know, you know, and they remember their names and their kids' names and, and the whole story of what happened in the life of this person and how it connects to that one. And then he married the son of, uh, she married the son of that guy. And, you know, they get it all connected. They've lived. That's one of the cool things about ministering to other people and having them pull you into their lives is you get to live a hundred different lives because you're living through them. Paul says, you're carved into me. You know, that's my first mark. And if you're looking to see if I'm a good minister, you should just look for your own name. You're carved on me. I love you. I care about you. And the second thing Paul says is we carved into you. You know, you're the only recommendation that we need. If I want to know if I'm a success in my ministry, I just have to look at the quality of your lives because you are the outcome of my work. You are the proof that God is using us to bring transformation to people through the Holy Spirit. And it's the only real proof that we can, we can know of. And hopefully heaven will reveal many ways that all of us were tremendously effective in the lives of others more than we know. But, you know, in, even in this world, we can see outside changes in people that are the result of inside changes that have taken place because somebody ministered to them. Paul says, we carved into you. You are living human letters, and we wrote on you. You know, it's really important that you have healthy pastoral and, and other kinds of authorities because they are writing on your life. You know, be careful who you hang around with. You know, for example, I talked about my friend who came out with his big entourage. I've known that man who's a man of God. I've known him for 35 years. And he was not like that before. He's like that then because he had this massive church and he started hanging out with these guys from Oklahoma who do this kind of stuff in their group. And they got him thinking their way. Other people carve on you. So don't forget that. You will become the sum total of your friends. You know, they say in business, you could add up the uh, income of your 20 best friends and then average it, and that's going to be your income because we just go in life with the people that we surround ourselves with. So be careful what your influences are. But on the good side, you know, seek those great influences. Use your, uh, use your discernment. And seek out great people and get get as close as you can get to them. And whether you're just stalking them or whether you're actually able to break through and engage them personally, 
it'll make a difference on you because people who minister to us write on us. Paul goes further than this and he says, okay, actually when we were carving in you, you carved in us love. We loved you enough to carve you in our heart. And then we carved on you, but Paul goes further and he says, actually it was Jesus. He wrote on you using our hands. He says, you are a message of Christ. And when he says of Christ, it's um, it's a Greek construction that is, uh, it shows possession. And it has three possible meanings, and I think they're all true. First one, he says, the message that we wrote on you, that Jesus actually took our hands and wrote into your heart, he pressed in. This was a message about Jesus. Secondly, he says, it was a message from Jesus. You're a message of Christ to the world. That is, people can come to know Jesus by what they see in you. You know, the old saying, you're the only Bible most people read. Jesus has carved his message in you. And thirdly, you, as a living human message, are owned by Jesus. You know, he owns the property because it's got his message on it. I guess if I was looking for a good mental image, it would be one of those old-fashioned signs about the guys who stand out in a public place and they have the sign, they call them sandwich boards. There's a sign on your chest and there's a sign on your back about as big as your body and it's got a message written on it. And your job is to stand out in the public place and say, hey, look at me and read this. Look at me and read this. I have a little message for you. So Jesus has written a message on you through the hands of his faithful ministers. And this message is there to be read by other people who see you. And, and this idea takes us back to the very first chapter in our Bible. Because the story of our creation as the human race is there. In ancient cultures that form the background of our Bible, great kings would have their craftsmen build images of themselves and they'd put them in prominent places throughout their kingdom. And we're told in the very first book of the Bible that when the great creator king made the world, he made his own images, us. He made us to be the image of God. That is, you should see me and think him. I have his authority I have his message written on me. He has put it down in my heart so that when people engage with me, they don't think, wow, awesome guy. They think, whoa, awesome God. And that's my job. And if I'm doing a good job, then I am standing there holding a mirror angled up to the sky and saying, here's God. You need to look at God. And so when they see us, that's my job. I am the image of of God on the earth, as you are, all of us, we walk around with this. It's uh, It gives us a calling. And Paul says, that's what ministers do. If you're going to be engaged in ministering in the lives of other people on God's behalf, then you need to ponder the huge power that is within a Holy Ghost anointed ministry. You take people's lives and you write on them. You lean on them and you write. You make an impression and an indentation and you write God's message on their heart and on their lives. 
And when you do that, you also rewrite their histories because their life was going one direction and you take them an entirely different direction because you've rewritten their story when you write all that. And so Paul says, you know, me and my fellow shepherds, we wrote the message about Jesus and from Jesus upon your hearts by the finger of God through the Holy Spirit in just as dramatic a way as Moses received the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God made on stones. It's a powerful thing. If you can understand the power of a ministering life, that you can ease into the life of another person, you lean on them and you press in relationally and the Holy Spirit anoints your relationship and you write on them the message of Christ and it's there. Actually, in verse 4, Paul says, I minister with great confidence. Now, he's not confident in any human thing because all the normal signs of status, Paul says, they mean nothing to him. He said in another scripture, they're filthy rags. We're so impressed with them and they are nothing but filthy rags when you get into the kingdom and you know, you're not going to drag your, oh Lord, receive me in your kingdom. I graduated from this university and look at all the money I had and look at the positions I held in life. Those are nothing to the great king. And the ministry is not a human work. It is a, it is a work in the kingdom of God where none of this means anything to him. They are filthy rags. If you're trying to use them to impress him, he's not. And if you're trying to use them to minister to other people, they're not impressed either. I was a, I was a president of a seminary, and I got pressure from my denominational leaders to give a fake doctorate, you know, those honorary doctorates, to give a doctorate to a man I didn't even know who had nothing to do with our school. He had no history. Um, and I said, why would I do that? And they said, oh, brother, he needs them for his ministry. It will make, it will make uh, educated people in his country so much more impressed with him. And I said, uh, well, I won't do that, one, because it's unethical, and I won't do it, number two, because it doesn't work. I mean, I am an educated man, and by God's grace, I thank him for my education. But I can tell you, when you get two people with a doctorate in a room and somebody brings up doctor so-and-so, the very first question we ask each other is, wow, where'd you go to school? Number one, sort of status-seeking. Number two, what did you do your dissertation about? Because we all killed our, you know, almost nobody finishes a doctorate. They get started and then the paper's in their way. It's wild to me because I, I didn't think it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But you, uh, you know, you've struggled through all the studies and the... Um, and now that you've got this paper in front of you and it takes you a year or more to write it. And so we're very interested in each other's battle. And so when a man's answer to those questions is, oh, well, um, actually mine's honorary, it's worse. He would do better to just be himself and be an honest man. You know, so when Paul says in the ministry, none of these things have power, education, money, opportunity, this doesn't make you anything with power and it also doesn't transform other people's lives but paul says i have huge confidence that i have been empowered by the holy spirit to write upon lives i'm certain that i am competent to press deeply into other people and so paul does this intentionally 
And you'll do well in life if you will lean into people intentionally, like intend to shape people. Don't just hope you leave some happy tracks. See yourself as a mentor. You're older than somebody. You're farther along than somebody. Water flows downhill, and people have to look up to you in some way to receive your ministry to them. But when you can find somebody who's behind you in the race and even a few steps behind you, that's your target people. See yourself as anointed by God to write on their hearts. And you will find people are so hungry for mentors. That's the one thing that that I find all over the world is young people coming up crave uh, somebody a little farther along in the race to pour into their lives. I had one guy say it to me this way. He said, we are fatherless generation. And they're looking for fathers and mothers to lean on them and write deeply into their heart. And Paul says, I do it. You know, I do it with confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to use me. Because if you're going to do this kind of work, one, it has to be intentional. And two, it has to be in faith. You've got to know and believe that when you press on a person under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that impression is going to be permanent. And it's going to be part of their true transformation. You know, that's that's the only thing that drives me to have a podcast, is that there are people in the world that I can't meet. I don't know how I would even run into them. But I want to be part of your life. And the Lord has taught me things, and every one of these is a treasure to me. And I want to share them with you. And I think you'll be benefited. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be able to do this. Because it's a tremendous amount of work uh, to keep it going and to be consistent about it. But I'm committed to it because I love to see the impression. It's the same way that I was written on and I want to pass it on. So I'm here to minister to you. And if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Actually, I'm going to give you my personal email address, uh, which is chuck at quinley.com. You can write to me directly and I read my own emails. So that's what Thread's all about, and that's what I'm all about, and I hope that's what you're all about, because my big dream is that I can be a part of God shaping your life so that you will turn around and intentionally shape the lives of other people. Well, that's all for now. If you're enjoying the Thread podcast, please share it with your friends. Just use the button in the player on your screen. And don't forget, we've got all kinds of free resources if you'll check out MediaLightOnline.com. We've got online courses that we developed to help you find God's will and grow personally, spiritually, and as a leader. And we are dedicated to helping you improve your communication ability 10 times. So this week, expect God to use you. You are the light of the world. So shine on.